Well, I have the great privilege to welcome to the stage such a wonderful friend to our family. One of you could say, uh, good Morgan, <laughs> in your best French um, German accent. That would be really cool. Well, as we stand to our feet and welcome to the stage the wonderful, the amazing Ingrid Metzmeyer. <laughs> Good morning. And as Daniel tried to say, good, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> oh, it's uh, wonderful to be back in Colchester and to see where God has been taking uh, the church and new faces. I met all sorts of new people this morning. Um, so good to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I cannot see Stephanie and Jay, wherever you are, uh, way back there. I want a piece of that little man's neck, seriously. Wow, he's just gotten so big since I was here last. And that hair, oh my goodness. I'm going to come for a taste of him afterwards for sure. Uh, well, let's uh, just have a, a word of invitation. Um, what Holy Spirit has put on my heart to, to talk about this morning um, it's a deposit that is so full in me. I just want to be able to get it out, and uh, I don't know how it's going to go this morning. So um, let's just invite him to be a part of it. Oh, Father, I just love you so much. And I love these people. And I want them to experience you and the fullness of who you are so that they can leave this place absolutely empowered and filled with the knowledge of who they are to you. That your love would permeate every cell of their being and empower them. Help me, Holy Spirit, to reflect your heart as we open your word today. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, um, those of you who know me know that I um, have lived in a lot of places, and many years ago I lived actually in Ethiopia, and while I was there, I remember hearing one of the missionaries share a story um, that was told by the Maasai, uh, who were in Kenya, not in Ethiopia, but this was where the, the missionary was from, and uh, it always stayed with me. Apparently, they would tell this, this story to their daughters. But there was an elder in the tribe, very well-respected man, who had um, a single daughter of marriageable age. But while all the other daughters in the tribe would have men coming forward uh, wanting to marry them, nobody ever came for his daughter because she was quite ugly. Um, they had men coming to the fathers of one daughter and saying, I will give you 10 goats for your daughter. Because this is a culture that is very much a, a herding farming culture. And for them, the wealth of a family is measured in the amount of goats or uh, cows that they had. And so uh, the value given to the child, to the daughter, was measured in the amount of goats that was being given as a dowry. And he watched as fathers would accept 
10 goats here and 15 goats there and, and amazed when one man came for one of the daughters and was willing to pay 30 goats uh, to, for the privilege of marrying this young woman. But nobody ever came for his daughter. One day, the story, as the story goes, a very prestigious man from another tribe came into his tribe and came to his, the door of his hut and asked to speak with him. He said, I would like to marry your daughter. Everybody in the village was curious about who this man was because they had heard about him, but he wasn't part of their tribe. And they thought, how would he even know about us, let alone about this woman? And this young woman was shocked as well that this man would come for her. And the father said, well, um, if she agrees, then yes, you can marry her. And he wasn't really expecting anything, actually. He wasn't expecting to be given anything. He was just so happy that somebody would come for his daughter. And the man said, if you give me the privilege of marrying your daughters, I would like to give you 500 goats. Well, the man just about passed out right there. <laughs> he said, um, have you ever met my daughter? <laughs> Do you know who my daughter is? And he said, yes, I know who your daughter is. Will you accept 500 goats? And he's like, yes, yes, of course. If my daughter will accept you, she's yours. And so they were married, and the whole village came out because they were so shocked. And he took her back to his village. So there was a great procession, and off they went, and her father was left with all of these goats and very wealthy and very happy. A year later, he was in his hut, and he heard this big commotion outside. And someone came running to the door and said, Sir, sir, you have to come. The man, your son-in-law, he's brought another woman back to the village. You need to go and deal with him. What's he done with your daughter? He's killed her. I knew it. So nobody would marry such a girl as her. And he ran outside and he looked and sure enough, here was his son-in-law coming with this strange woman. And he's thinking, what have you done with my daughter? She might not have been beautiful to look at, but I loved her. And the son-in-law came to him and kissed him on the cheek and greeted him. And the girl, this young woman came up beside him, just radiant and beautiful. And he said, what have you done with my daughter? And the young girl laughed at him and said, Father, don't you recognize me? You see, she had been transformed because the value that had been placed on her had changed how she felt about herself. Two weeks, well, less than two weeks ago, actually, I was in Vienna. I had been invited to be a guest at Awakening Europe in Vienna, Austria. There were 10,000 people in this uh, Colosseum. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary five days that I was there. And on the third day in, how many of you have heard of Todd White? He's an evangelist from the United States. Quite a, a story that he has. But he was speaking uh, in the evening on the third night. And uh, as he was wrapping up what he was saying, he was telling the audience, if you have been touched by this message, if you know that the, you want the love of this God I'm talking about, I want you to come to the front. I want you to come to the front so that I can introduce you to him personally. Come on. And, and there were three huge tears in this auditorium and people started flooding out from every seat. And he said, run, run, don't, don't, don't think twice, just come running. 
and there were people flooding from all over and we're, people are crying because we're so blessed by the numbers of people that are coming. And this man comes through the crowd and he's pushing and he's shoving through the people, uh, thousands of them, and he does, he's running, he's pushing through and he runs up to the stage and they had a four foot fence that was uh, separating the stage from the rest of the floor because they had all this sound equipment and cameras and so on, and so they needed to keep people from damaging them. And this guy's running towards the stage, and he launched himself like some parkour champion over the fence and onto the stage and threw himself in Todd's arms. And he, Todd travels with... Um, some of these Bikers for Jesus guys, big, burly American men with tattoos everywhere, and they come from off the back of the stage, you know, to come and rescue him. And he's like, no, 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 waving his... And this guy is sobbing in his arms, just his arms thrown around him. And, of course, he's speaking German, so Todd doesn't understand him. And it turns out, uh, Todd said afterwards, this man was pouring his heart out into his ear. The translator was right beside him. And he said he was saying, I was going to commit suicide tonight. And someone gave me a free ticket to this event. And now you tell me that I'm loved. I want this Jesus. And he got born again that night. Along Over the course of those three days, we saw a thousand people come to Jesus. You are loved with a passionate, intense love. And it's a love that should transform you. It's a love that should change the way, not only how you see yourself, but how you live every day. It's a love that should empower you to go out into your community, go into your marriage, go into your schools, go into your friendships. It's a love that should so radiate out of you that your face is changed and everyone around you says, who is this? Who is this God that you serve that has changed who you are? It needs to be something that's birthed deep inside you. And this morning, I want to talk and teach from this amazing book that I don't think I've ever heard anyone teach on before, at least not from this perspective. And my message this morning is titled, if you want to just pop it up, I don't know if it's up or not. Yeah, can you see it? Oh, living for his kiss. Oh, what are you going to talk about? I've studied this book, The Song of Songs, but when I've studied it, it was always in the context of marriage. And that's how I was taught it. And in the last few months, God has revealed to me, yeah, I mean, we can take the scripture and we can learn and get revelation from all different areas. But the real purpose, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, consider the Song of Songs the holiest of all the books in the Bible. Why is that? It's only eight chapters. So I began to study it and to recognize what it really is. It's a divine love story between God and us. It's a picture of the passion that Jesus has for you. Passion. The first verse, the most amazing song of all by King Solomon. Let him smother me with kisses. His spirit kiss divine. So kind are your caresses. I drink them in like sweetest wine. Let him smother me with kisses. 
Have you ever thought how Adam came to life? The Bible says he, that God breathed into him the breath of life. When you kiss another person, when you kiss your husband or your wife, your breath mingles. Have you ever realized that? If it's a proper kiss, anyway. <laughs> As your mouths are together, the breath from your nostrils mixes with one another. That's what God did with Adam. When you perform CPR on somebody who's had a heart attack, you give them mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. You're breathing life into them. This is what God did. And God is saying, the Shulamite, rather, who's speaking this, is saying, let him smother me with kisses. Let him fill me with his life. Let his spirit life enter into me. So kind are your caresses. I drink them in like the sweetest wine. Wine, of course, is a sign of pleasure. The pleasure that we have, we, we take in wine, we drink wine, we get drunk. It's something that gives us a high, makes us feel good. And she's saying, no, no, no. I want what you give to give me that feeling. I don't want to go to some external source. I don't want to find this pleasure somewhere else or from someone else. I want to be so smothered by this impartation of your breath in me as you kiss me that I'm filled with this desire for only you. This is a beautiful picture of what God has for us in the church. You know, wine, I used to live in, here in Colchester for nine years and discovered that England is a, is a drinking culture. <laughs> and we like our, they like their wine and their beer and their drinks and so on. And what the, this message that he's trying to get across as he's saying this is, is there something that you want to have that is addictive in your relationship with God? Something that once you've tasted it, you want it again. So the way that you have felt about drinking alcohol or about a relationship that you can't get enough of or, or whatever it is that, that you're constantly going back to, he's saying, I want you to find that in me. I want me to be the one who is the addicting force in your life. Could you put up the next verse? In verse 2. Oh, verse 3, thanks. Your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing over and over poured out for your lovely name is flowing oil. No wonder the brides-to-be adore you. When you are with this lover, when you are in relationship with Jesus, it says that his name is flowing oil. Oil has always been a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When you are in his presence, when you are making him that lover of your soul, there is this continual flowing of the spirit of God that comes over you, this continual empowering that comes over you, this impartation that comes over you, because that's his name, flowing oil. It is who he is. There's this release constantly happening. It says, no wonder the bridesmaids, brides-to-be adore you. 
you know, we have different characters that are represented in this. And this morning, I'm just going to be covering the first chapter of the Song of Songs. But I really encourage you, after the, today, go back and read this in light of the revelation of what God is giving this morning. But we have the Shulamite woman, and we are the Shulamite. You know, Shulamite is the female version of the word Solomon. It's the same Hebrew re- root word. And so it's for both men and women. This isn't about a love story written from a woman's perspective. This is written to both men and women because this is how God feels about you. This is Jesus looking at his bride, the church. And so we've got the Shulamite, which is us. And then we have the shepherd king or Solomon, which is Jesus. And then we have these brides-to-be. Now, the brides-to-be are waiting to marry this king. So they're sort of the same as the Shulamite, but not quite, because she's already in this relationship. She's already about to go through this marriage ceremony. The brides-to-be are waiting to be in her shoes. We need to always remember that we're being watched. We're being watched, the church, and we are full of people who want to be the bride, but they're always the bridesmaid. They're watching other people who are full of the Spirit of God, who are passionate about Jesus, who are worshiping, who are seeing God move, and they want that, but they're always the bridesmaid and never the bride. And why is that? That's because they have not come to that place of saying, I want you only. I want to be exclusive with you. There's been this this thing in the church where, where our passions are divided. We pursue Jesus on Sunday, and we love what we feel in the worship, and we love to see when our worship leaders get up and show passion, and we get involved, and then we leave, and we stay the bridesmaid. But I want to encourage you to watch those who are pursuing God with passion. Watch those who are full of that impartation of the flowing oil and pursue after it. It says, no wonder they adore you because they see this image of who the bride is supposed to be. And the next verse, draw me into your heart. We will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. So she's saying, okay, I have this passion. I have this passion for you, Jesus. I know what I want. I want to go into this secret, intimate place with you. The cloud-filled chamber, what is that? That's the Holy of Holies. In the Old Testament, it talked about how the presence of God came like a cloud, and it filled that place, that Holy of Holies, and only the priest, high priest, could go in there. And she's saying, that's the kind of intimacy I want with you. That's what God is asking from each of us. What Jesus is saying, this is where I want you to be. This is how I see you. I want you to be in this place, the Holy of Holies with me, where I can whisper secrets to you and I can speak truths to you. We will remember you, your love, rejoicing and delighting in you, celebrating your every kiss better than wine. Yes, He's the only thing that should addict us. No wonder the righteous enjoy you, adore you. And the next verse. Jerusalem maidens, this is these these maids in waiting. In this twilight darkness, I know I am so unworthy and so in need. This happens to us all the time. 
You say, Ingrid, I know what you're talking about. I want this passionate relationship with God. I want to know what it's like to have Holy Spirit just present with me everywhere I go. But I mess up here. I do this. I fail over here. I just don't feel worthy to go into the Holy of Holies, let alone have this kind of relationship you're talking about. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not dressed for the event. I mean, the high priest, once a year he could go into the Holy of Holies. This takes preparation. How do you expect me to enter into this place? And this is how he responds to her. When she says, I'm just not worthy. He says, but you are so lovely. You are so lovely. You see, God does not see you the way you see yourself. God does not see you the way you see yourself. You feel unworthy. You feel unprepared. You feel, that's not me. I'm never going to get where you're at. But he doesn't see you like that. He sees you as the finished product. He sees you already in that place. And then she comes back again. I feel as dark and dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomads. She's referring, that this verse is referring back to Ishmael. Um, Kedar is the word that is used in the Hebrew. And Kedar was the word, uh, the name of one of the sons of Ishmael. So it's saying, this is, uh, I feel like the old nature, the old man. I feel like th that part of me, I'm just not ready for you. And yet again, he says, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't matter how unworthy you feel. Yet you are so lovely, like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. Wow. This morning, I just need to stir up inside of you this knowledge that God sees you as this pure, perfect, lovely bride of his heart. You might not feel that way. But that's how he sees you. You are like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. And the next verse. Please don't stare in scorn because of my dark and sinful ways. My angry brothers quarreled with me and appointed me guardian of their ministry vineyards. Yet I've not tended my own vineyard within. So often this happens in the church because these are people that are waiting for the Lord. So these are, we're, we're talking to the church here. She's saying, I've got all these issues. Here I am in this church and people have all these expectations of me and asking me to do this and serve here and go there. How many of you can relate to that? And yet I don't feel like I've got it together myself. I don't even have things together myself and I'm just feeling stretched in every direction. I haven't tended my own vineyard within. And then the next line. Won't you tell me, lover of my soul, where do you feed your flock? Where do you lead your beloved ones to rest in the heat of the day? For I wish to be wrapped all around you as I wander among the flocks of your shepherds. It's you I long for with no veil between us. She's saying, Lord, it doesn't matter what all of these other influences are, how I'm being made to feel elsewhere. I just want to follow where you're leading me. Where would you tell me to go? What is the best place to be? When you come into church on Sunday, 
You see people who are pursuing the same God as you, but you're saying, I want this passion in me to be alive. I want it to be like a fire burning in my soul. So I would encourage you, look for other people in the church who have that passion that you want. Follow them. Follow their example. Attach yourself to them. Begin to copy their life. Ask for their counsel. Sit down for a cup of coffee with them and say, how do you pursue God? How do you keep this fire alive? Show me how I can enter into this. I want, I long to have no veil between us. Talk to people in the church who will help you develop this intimate relationship with Jesus. This is what he wants for you. There was, um, two weeks ago, I was preaching in uh, the former East Germany. Uh, I was at a, a camp um, for a church retreat and for Pentecost, and I spoke over three days. And at the end of the Sunday service, I had uh, been teaching for a total of about four hours over that weekend. And I said to everybody in the room, okay, now we're going to put into practice everything that we have learned. And they got excited. And I said, how many people in this room uh, need healing in their body? And 26 hands went up. And there were about 130 people in the room. And I said, oh, great. Okay. So everybody moved the chairs to the back of the room. And you could feel the excitement starting to raise in the room because they're thinking, oh, yes. The preacher is going to come and pray for us and we're going to see healings and so on. I took those 26 people and I divided them into three groups. And the first group, I said, okay, I want you to just spread around the, the auditorium here. And all the rest of you, I want you to surround these people. I want at least five to six people around each one of them. And so all the rest of, of the people that were there surrounded these eight people. And I said, okay, first, I want you to tell them, the, the person who's getting prayed for, you have one minute to tell them, what your need is in your body. Then I'm going to give you two minutes as a group to get before God and ask him how to pray for that person. And so that's what they did. And as I said, okay, two minutes, start praying and talking to God. I'm walking around the room and I'm listening to people just before God asking, what, what should we pray? And this woman motions to me, Ingrid, Ingrid. She says, can you come and join our group to pray for this person? And I smiled at her and I said, I'm sorry, but that would defeat the whole purpose. I'm leaving tomorrow. The whole purpose of what we've been learning over this weekend is for you to understand who you are. Because you're no different than I am. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That lives in me. And he loves you with the same intense love that he loves me. He wants to flow through you in the same way he flows through me. And he's going to talk to you in the same way he talks to me. And she just kind of looked at me and went, <laughs> and then turned back to keep on praying. I asked them to put their hands up when they had finished praying for each person. And I, and once everybody was done, I said, okay, I want you to check your bodies if you got prayed for. If you've been healed, I want you to put your hand up and let us know. About 30 seconds go by, and then someone in the back of the room goes, ah, 
it's like a shock uh, sound. And then this German uh, translator is translating back and forth, this person had been healed. And then as soon as they finished testifying, two other people, Ma! their hands going up. Out of that group of eight, four of them were healed right away. Suddenly, the whole atmosphere in the room changed. I could feel faith arising because they were beginning to believe that what I had said was actually true. That God was the same God in them as they saw in me. At the end of that prayer time, 26 people who had been prayed for, 17 of them were healed. The next morning, I prayed for one person after that whole meeting was done. And the next morning, we had breakfast, and then we were, had a praise meeting before we were going to leave the camp. And they just wanted, had an open mic and told people to come forward. And it was just one person after another person after another person. And this one woman who came running into the room, tears running down her face as she came up to the mic to testify. She'd had a headset on to protect her ears because she had a burst eardrum. And she pulled the headset off and was testifying to how God had healed her. And the whole church was up shouting and celebrating because they'd all been part of this journey with her. But they believed who God said that they were. And they were able to act on it. This morning, you need to understand that who God says you are, that what he says about you, that you are intensely, deeply, infinitely loved, that he is passionately in love with you. He does not see where you mess up. He's not pointing his finger at you. You can read this entire book of the Song of Songs and you will not find one time when he reproaches the Shulamite, when she talks about her sin, when she talks about her failings, never once does he say anything negative. He's constantly saying, yes, but, but I see you this way. I see you this way. You are beautiful. You are precious. You are lovely. You are of such infinite value to me. I need you to get this. I need you to understand this is how God sees you. This is what he says about you. What's the next verse? Listen, this is Jesus talking to you. Listen, my radiant one. If you ever lose sight of me, just follow in my footsteps where I lead my lovers. When you feel hopeless, when you feel like something has gone wrong and there's no turning back, when you feel like you're alone and you can't see God, there are people around you. Reach out to them and just follow them. Follow their example. Let them come into your life and help you walk. Follow them. God never leaves you without encouragement. Come with your burdens and cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds. That's what the church is for. We're here to build you up and to remind you of who you are. Always reminding you of who you are. We long for personal encounter. We crave authentic relationship where we can experience him. And the next verse. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. This is Jesus speaking to you. This is how he sees you. You are so thrilling to me. Regardless of how you feel about yourself, you think he doesn't know? You think he doesn't know what you've done, how you've failed? He knows everything about us, but that doesn't change the way he feels. You are so thrilling to me. To gaze upon you is like, like looking at one of Pharaoh's finest horses. Eh, some might think, okay, is that a compliment? 
strong, regal steed pulling his royal chariot. The horses of Egypt were the best in the world. And this is saying, what of Pharaoh's finest horses? Only the best of the best ever got into Pharaoh's stables. And this one was specifically for Pharaoh alone. That means that when he looks at you, he's saying, you are the choicest of the choice. When I look at you, I see the absolute pinnacle of the best. This is who you are to me. And the next one. Your tender cheeks aglow. Your earrings and gem-laden necklaces set them ablaze. How many know that every emotion we have is seen in our cheeks? We blush and uh, frowning every look. It means that our emotions, that the tender cheeks are, are glow, meaning that we are showing every emotion that we have and we give it to him. Earrings and gem-laden necklaces. Keep going. We will enhance your beauty, encircling you with our golden reins of love. You will be marked with our redeeming grace. And the next one. As the king surrounded me at this table, the sweet fragrance of my praise perfume awakened the night. And the next one. A sachet of myrrh is my lover, like a tied-up bundle of burr resting over my heart. Myrrh has always been a symbol of... It was used in, in mourning. It was used for uh, grave clothes. It was used um, so it has that sorrow kind of element to it. And what she's saying at this point is, I recognize that in pursuing you, that the love for you might cost me something. Those of us who are parents know that love can hurt. Loving someone doesn't mean that it's all smooth. But what she's saying here is my passion for you, God, is so great that I'm willing to walk down these paths with you. Whatever happens, I'm going to trust in you. It is resting over my heart. Whatever we go through together, whatever stress or trial or, or sorrows come my way, I'm in this with you. You are my passion. I trust you. I belong to you. This is what Holy Spirit wants from us. He's calling us into this kind of intimacy. He's calling us into this place where we are letting our entire selves be vulnerable and open to this kind of passionate love. And it might cost us something. It might cost us something. The next verse. He is like a bouquet of henna blossoms, henna plucked near the vines in the fountain of the lamb. I will hold him and never let him part. And the next one. Look at you, my dearest darling. You are so lovely. Beauty itself to me. Your passionate eyes are like gentle doves. This is God talking to us this morning. And next verse. Beloved one, you're both handsome and winsome, pleasing beyond words. Our resting place is anointed, flourishing like a green forest meadow, bathed in light. The very last verse talks about uh, the building Oh, yes, rafters of cedar branches are over our heads, balconies of pleasant-smelling pines. The temple that Solomon built for God was composed of pines and cedars that were coated with gold. So he's, this beautiful first chapter is talking all about this developed relationship that God wants to have with you, that you would have a passion for him that is exclusive, that you would set yourself apart for him and he will create this environment where you are protected by him, 
where you are nurtured by him because you are the sole focus of his eye. When it talked about your eyes are like doves, do you know that the dove is the only bird in the world that has no peripheral vision? It's a scientific fact. They can only see straight ahead. They can't look from side to side like other birds. They have a single focus. That's how we need to be in our relationship with God. This passion that flows out of us that says, you are the one that I long for. You are the one that I desire. And in that desire, God then creates this incredible environment. I just want to read a couple other verses that come from some of the other chapters. He says, now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. And the season of hiding is over and gone. This morning, God is calling those of you who are, are struggling with this passionate pursuit of Jesus, with this passionate kind of relationship with God. He's saying, the season is over of this back and forth. I'm calling you into intimacy. I'm calling you to be exclusive with me, to make me the priority in your life. Because my passion for you is exclusive. I love you with an infinite, passionate love. And you are the one that I want. You are beautiful to me. You are beautiful to me. This morning, I want to invite all of you to look inward into the relationship that you have with this God that you serve. I want you to look into your hearts and I want you to ask yourself, am I passionate about you exclusively? Do I seek after you with my whole heart, Holy Spirit? Do I want you, Jesus, more than I want anything else? Do I want to know what it's like to, to be so infused by your loving presence and acceptance that people around me can see you? You know, Peter and John, when they were arrested after Jesus ascended, it says that the Pharisees couldn't figure out how these guys could be so educated because they were just poor fishermen. But it says in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, it says, but they recognized by the way that they acted that they had been with Jesus. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to be so confident in how he sees you and how much he loves you that wherever you go, the world can look at you and say, that person knows something I don't. I want what they've got. They've been with Jesus. They know who God is. They have this something different, and I want it. Let me invite you to stand this morning. This is a very personal moment between you and God. Very personal moment. And I just want to ask each one of you just to close your eyes and give everyone around you just the respect to have their time. And I want to encourage all of you to be like the dove, completely single in your focus. And as your eyes are closed, I'd like you to imagine yourself standing 
at the entrance to the courts of heaven. The doors are always open to you. Always. I want you to imagine yourself standing there. And you're looking in towards the throne of God where the Father is waiting. And then around the corner comes Jesus. And he's walking towards you. And he's reaching out his hand to you and he's saying, come deeper with me. Come deeper, my love. This is a new season. Old things have passed away. All things have been made new for you. Come with me. Come deeper. I want you to know me. I want you to experience me. If you want more, if you want more of this beautiful, beautiful God, if you want to feel this overcoming love like that man did who ran down to the front and just threw himself in Todd's arms, if you want to know what it feels like to have that next level love, just raise your hands to the Spirit of God and just say, I want more. I want more. I want to go to the next level in you, Father. This is the divine romance, everyone. It's not for women only or men only. With God, there is no male or female. There is just His children. And he has a passionate, passionate love for you. So just lift your hands and say, I want more of you. I want more of you. Father, I just pray for every person in this room, everyone here who came this morning expecting one thing, but you had other plans. You had other plans. You want to stir up in everyone's hearts a passion for your name, a passion for your name. Holy Spirit, would you sweep across this room? Holy Spirit, would you sweep across this room? I just release, I release that, that angelic involvement. Come and, and move through this place. Let the fragrance of heaven just sweep through this place. Know that you are loved. Know that you are pursued with passion. Know that he sees you, everything about you, and that he loves you, that you are lovely to him, that you are perfect to him. Come to the next level. Move to the next level. Thank you, Jesus. Father, if there is anyone here this morning who has never encountered you for themselves personally, they've never had this intimate relationship with Jesus. Daddy, I ask you to, oh, to just overcome whatever fears, whatever questions that they might have and saturate them with your presence right now. Let them feel the reality of who you are. Holy Spirit, come upon them with power. Father, I ask you to cleanse them from all unrighteousness and give them a confidence of your perfect love for them. I just declare life and blessing over each person in this room. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are loved. You are accepted. 
You are His. You are His. Thank you, Father.